Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. All right, boys and girls, you know where you are. You should know who this is. This is Tyler Sheff, and I am the host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. And I have my favorite co-host, Mr. Michael Marino. How you doing? The other guy. Here we the go. The other guy. Yeah. We got a fun topic today. We do. I- we absolutely do. But first, looks like you're home. You're he's in his stud castle. <laughs> For those of you watching on YouTube, you can see, and I apologize, I am a little bit behind on the YouTube videos, but you should know I am traveling across the country on a little bit of a summer vacation. So I'm the one actually traveling today. Mike, you're in Colorado doing your thing. How's the project going there as far as getting the office all situated? We were just talked about before, insulation is next and I need it badly. So in the meantime, I'm in my little stud studio, which is nice. There you go. It all begins with a stud, as they That's say. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get much accomplished without a stud. Don't get me started. But yeah, I'm sitting in the front seat of new to me truck, loving it. I am in, where am I? I'm in somewhere in Missouri in a state park, digging it. Got my little tiny, tiny house camper cabin. Mike, by the way, I've discovered a downside of having a really cool custom made camper. One downside. Uh, what's that? When you go to places, everybody wants to see inside. Oh, see, now we wrapped it to look like a little log cabin. So guys, those of you listening, we took Jill and I bought a 12 foot and you're thinking, oh my God, how could I fit 12 foot? Mike's been seen inside of it. There's lots of shockingly lots of room. It has a kitchen. It has a shower, composting toilet and sleeps two, <laughs> not two and a half, two. <laughs> and I can stand it. That's what and really you can stand me. it. Yes. Cause you can't stand up in a lot of campers. I bet no being in six, what? Six, six three. Six three, yeah, but we love this thing, and it's built out of a cargo trailer. So we, they took the guy that built it, took a brand new cargo trailer, twenty nineteen. He was an engineer, and he made a custom RV out of it, and he did a gorgeous job. And then Jill went in there and did cedar planks all up and down the walls on the ceiling, so it's all cedar inside. It's gorgeous. It smells nice. Tables in the whole nine yards, and it's only twelve feet long, and it's awesome. And we're using that to go across the country that we're doing a little cross country trip to get out and see Yellowstone National Park. So be interesting to see where I am during these podcast episodes for the next week, couple of weeks, whatever. But here today, Mike, we're here to talk about, as you were saying, commercial real estate. What the heck is going on with commercial real estate? Ken McElroy's talking about it. Joe Brown, Heresy Financial, all the people that we follow are all wound up about commercial real estate and what may be happening. Any thoughts on that before we get started? Yeah. So before this, we were talking about this trend. So the big guys, Ken McElroy, those who own the mega multifamily, 100 units plus, they're all very in tune with commercial real estate being, you know, those those skyscrapers that you see in New York or that place that you used to commute to. Remember that? Remember that before COVID? Those places with those horrible cubicles? Yeah. We're talk- that's what they're thinking about. Now, if you talk to other people or go on YouTube or other podcasters who are more in tune with single family, small multifamily, they're looking like, oh, everything is looking okay right now. Inflation is going a little bit down. Unemployment is still low. And they're not seeing this, what we call the silent tsunami that these big guys are talking about. Unfortunately, the government, too, is praising the, the, the fact that nobody can see it either, the silent tsunami of commercial real estate. And why is it a tsunami? It's because these high-rise office buildings or even the low and mid-rise places that you used to commute to, they don't have fixed rate debt. That's right. Which means when the interest rate goes up, so does their rate. 
And so I won't spill all the beans quite yet. We got uh, another 30 minutes to talk about it, but it's pretty scary that nobody sees what's coming. So one of the things I'm seeing people talk about, not necessarily the pundits online, but more importantly, the average Joe, and I heard this yesterday, I was at a, a county park and I was in a, a coffee circle in the morning in the middle of the street. We're all sitting there talking. And one of the guys is like, they're not going to raise the interest rates this go around. They're going to keep them the same and that's going to fix everything. I'm going to say not necessarily. That's not how the game is played because first of all, guys, we've said this in the past, but I want to make sure we touch on it again because it's going to be ever more important in this podcast. What the Fed does with the Fed funds rate doesn't necessarily directly impact mortgage interest rates or credit card interest rates. It is not, there is no direct correlation. There is an indirect correlation. And when rates, the Fed raises the Fed funds rate, there are markets where the mortgage interest rates are affected. But in a lot of cases, the Fed over the past year, the Fed has raised the federal funds rate and the mortgage rate went down. What happens when that comes up? In my opinion, what I think, what I'm feeling, it's not even a think, what I'm very confident, my belief system, because I've read this, I get as a realtor, then someone that does both residential and commercial, I've got a, I manage a team that has realtors that do both, residential and commercial. So I get publications, a lot of commercial real estate publications in the mail. I get them for the laundry industry, for commercial apartments, for warehouse, office, all that nine yards. That keeps me up to speed on what's happening in the commercial real estate sector. And what happened this year is even though the Fed was raising the Fed funds rate, the commercial mortgage interest rates actually in some cases went down. So again, Fed funds rate goes up, commercial mortgage rate goes down. What happens when the mortgage rate goes down? That spurs what? Additional purchases. So what happened was, I think, in the last 12 months is that some of these commercial players were getting a little spendy because they're seeing that, oh, great, it's cheaper to borrow money. We can go in and make some quick equity, buy an asset, reposition it, hopefully get out while the getting's good. What they're finding is post-COVID, in a lot of cases, like you just talked about, Mike, office didn't really, office is hurting because everybody that used to be in an office is no longer in an office. And what's happening is there's a lot of empty space, empty capacity nationwide. If you look around your local community, I don't know how things are in Salida, Colorado, Mike, but I just spent a month and a half in the Tampa Bay area working with our ALF there. And I noticed commercial real estate, retail space, office space, doctor's offices, closing up and they're boarded up. They're just sitting there empty and nobody's paying rent there. I got news for you. That can't last forever because if that just keeps going, the bottom will fall out of the market. The general consensus, and I think you've read about this as well, Mike, is that the people that are not in offices now are not coming back. Is that accurate? I don't blame them. I used to hate my cubicle. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's good and bad, you know, COVID people's realized that they could work from home, of course, but unfortunately right. we have the infrastructure from decades and centuries of establishing commercial office buildings that are still right. here. My fear, if I was to have a fear associated with this topic, Mike, is that, you know, what happened in China is they overbuilt. Oh, that's right. Yeah. China's real estate sector way overbuilt. They built, I think it was hundreds of thousands or maybe even millions of more housing units then they had people to fill. And now there are entire, entire apartment complexes with hundreds and hundreds of doors sitting vacant. Yeah, empty earning cities. nothing. Yes, empty cities. And what happens with that, and I've, now I'm, I've noticed it as well. So I've been driving across the country for the last couple of days. I left Florida 
on Sunday morning. Today is Thursday, June 15th. So I've driven across the U.S. I'm sitting in Missouri right now, heading out to Yellowstone. And as I drive through these towns, both big and small, and I went through St. Louis yesterday, I was shocked and driving down the interstate in St. Louis, how much available capacity, how much empty commercial real estate was sitting there. Storefronts, shopping malls. That's another side of it. The retail industry is hurting big box retailers such as Amazon and things like that. Everything's being done online. What I'm seeing, Mike, and I saw this recently in Tennessee, is they're just knocking these buildings down because the cost of maintaining them to keep them in one piece is just killing it. It's just too expensive. But yet somebody has to get that foreclosure on their record, even though they tear it down. That's right. The money's got to get paid off or forgiven one or the other. And so far, the government hasn't come to rescue. The government doesn't ever seem to really rescue the housing industry as it does as much as it does banking. And I think that's because I just read a book this past year called uh, All the President's Bankers. And that's a great book, guys, if you want to get more context on keep wondering why the big banks get bailed out, but really nobody else except maybe the auto manufacturers every once in a while. Read that book and it'll explain the whole thing. It's far too much to talk about on this week's podcast. But a popular question, Mike, that comes up, and I know all the pundits have covered this, but I want to touch on it as well. Geez, Tyler, why don't they just convert some of these offices or shopping malls to housing? I hear this a lot in Key West closed Kmart. So you've got a big facility, I don't know, 25, 30,000, 40,000 square foot Kmart store, big store. Why can't you make that apartments? Thoughts on that? To the layperson, it sounds like it would be an easy thing. But now that we're converting a large single family house into an assisted living home in, in Tarpon Springs, Florida, our basic, basic biggest expense is plumbing to install more bathrooms. It's yes. a huge expense. I didn't realize it. That's right. And all these high rises, they don't have enough bathrooms. And fire suppression. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's a big one. A fire suppression on our property, which is over, a little over 3,000 square foot, is close to a $50,000 price tag when you get into it. So, guys, when you take a commercial a property that was intended for use for one, one thing, let's say offices, you think that doesn't make sense because, geez, Mike, There's lots of bathrooms in offices, office complexes. Well, is there really? Think about it. Think about the last movie you watched where they had a big law office and and how many bathrooms were in that flat of that entire big floor. Let's say that's 5,000 square foot. There are a men's room. There's one men's room and one ladies room on that floor. So in five to six, 7,000 square foot, there's one set of plumbing for the men's and ladies. If you turn that 5,000 square foot into four or five apartments, let's say, where are you going to put the additional toilets? Because people are not going to want to rent an apartment and share a toilet that down at the end of the hall. I know that's a thing in New York City, but that New York City is its own rare animal. And it's not just the building expense. Another thing what we're experiencing in Tarpon Springs, luckily we've got a good team on our side, is zoning. Uh, you yes. can't just automatically change the zoning of a high-rise office building to apartments. That's right. And as we've discovered, and a lot of that comes down to density, these municipalities, whether they be big cities or little towns or big counties, are very focused on density. What what does density mean? Density basically means how many people live in a given radius, in a given, like, for example, in Tarpon Springs, they talk about an acre. How many housing units? And the answer is 15 housing units within one acre of land. That's the maximum density. And they assume that a housing unit encompasses no more than, was it three bedrooms generally, Mike, and then two people per bedroom. I think that's right. Yeah. So in that case, you'd be looking at six people. So two people per bedroom, three bedrooms, 
That'd be six people. So you can have 15 housing units, each with a maximum of six people. That There's your math to tell you how many humans they want living in a one-acre area. If you take a high-rise, obviously the density numbers get crazy, right? You look at New York City, how many in an acre building, acre footprint, square, that's 50 stories tall, how many people are going to squeeze in there? The answer is not the same as what we're seeing here in Florida. The reason why they do that, guys, number one is, and I think it's important to note is a couple of reasons. Number one, the reason why they want to control density is the infrastructure that's in place. Salida, Colorado, Mike, you found you did a sewer scope and you needed to replace a sewer line or whatnot. Your sewer line is a certain size, probably in your neighborhood of four inch. It was made out of cast iron. It was installed probably in the 1930s, maybe the 1940s, because prior to that, they used outhouses. Your home now used to be housing for railroad workers back in the day. Yeah. It's ironic as now it's a, it, it's a big, expensive, gorgeous, cool little deal. But back in the day, it was a little shack. And over the years, they added onto it, added onto it, and turned it into a full-fledged home. But the plumbing system there is not designed to, to accommodate 100 people. It's designed to accommodate Mike and Michelle, or Mike and Janelle, sorry. I was thinking of our attorney, Michelle. Mike and Janelle. And if you were to try to put a high-rise on that same lot, which oh, yeah. could fit a, a, probably an apartment building. It's a good-sized lot. The plumbing going out to the street is not big enough. So you got to tear right. all that out. And you'd have to put maybe a 12-inch or a 24-inch or whatever. I'm not a plumber. I'm not going to begin to guess. The size doesn't matter. What does matter is the infrastructure is not in place on Mike's lot to encompass that. Now, in Tarpet Springs, one of the pushbacks that the city came back to us with is the density argument. However, this is a huge house, over 3,000 square foot. When it's all said and done, it's gonna it'll have seven bedrooms. So seven bedrooms of two people each, easily easy math, gives you 14. And we have a huge, because this has always been a big house, it has a large pipe going out into the main already because it was built as a boarding house. When it was plumbed originally in the 1940s, even though it was built in 1914, it was plumbed as a boarding house. So it, they've already have the infrastructure in place to accommodate for the increased services. So there is no environmental impact or no services impact to the city of Turban Springs. That in part is one is our argument is for zoning. Now we've got some other arguments that we'll talk about in another episode down the road. We don't want to give up the goods just quite yet, but that is one of the big differences that you'll see why you just can't simply take an office building and make it housing. People in Key West, they scream bloody murder. They're like, Oh my God, rent's too much. We need a bunch of housing units. That's fine. But number one, where are you going to build them? Don't say Kmart because Kmart, Kmart has 440 power going in, oh, which yeah. is all fine and dandy. But then you tear down the building, you can't build, you build the housing units inside. Who wants to live in a coffin that has no windows? Because only the people on the perimeters of the buildings are going to have windows, right? Just you when you pull up behind your truck. Exactly. Well, <laughs> I, have one. I have two windows and a window on the door and of course a skylight. So I got plenty of windows in my little 12 foot box. But if you're somebody living in an apartment, who wants to live in an apartment devoid of natural light? Remember on the ship, Mike? Remember how important it was to have a porthole? Oh, everybody wanted the porthole. That's right. That's right. That's why I made sure I got promoted so that I could, <laughs> so I could see outside. And I also made sure that I didn't have to share a room because that wasn't very pleasant. Because <laughs> I'm a grown man and I don't like to play house with other men. You know, no offense, but that's just not how I want to do things. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people are thinking, well, this has nothing to do with me because I don't own a high-rise office apartment, a high-rise office building. 
So the, the problem is the government is touting very low unemployment. Yay, that's wonderful. However, with all these empty buildings, when the debt is due and the interest rates are much higher, what are these companies going to have to do so they don't go bankrupt? They're probably going to have to lay off a lot of workers. They're probably going to have to implement artificial intelligence, which everyone's screaming about too, in order to replace these workers. So everything looks fine and dandy right now, but like we say, this silent tsunami is coming and nobody is talking about it. Another thing, for example... Right now, the stock market is pretty stable, but I'm not a big stock guy. I know some friends who are, but if you look at it, they say, Mike, there's only about five to 10 companies holding up the stock market right now. Everybody else is holding on by a thread if they're not falling. And so you think about, okay, now if we, if the entire economy stock market is in the hands of five to 10 mega conglomerates who own I'm looking at right now, this uh, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla, Meta, they own, hold 150 million square feet. And of course, there's Berkshire Hathaway, which, God, I don't know how much they own square footage. So if these guys have to lay off so they don't go bankrupt, the tsunami's coming. And I don't know what's going to happen, but it's not going to look as peachy as everyone is talking about right now. So the question you might have with yourselves, guys, is what does that mean to me? Why does that matter to me? I'm just a guy that flips houses or I'm a wholesaler. I'm a whatever. How do I either, how does this impact me? Number one and number two, how, if it doesn't impact me or should it impact me, can I make money off of this? And That's the right. answer is a resounding hell yes. Yep. Because here's the thing. Let's talk about a Kmart, for example, because that's a good example that most people can get their head around. Forget about Apple and Amazon and Facebook. Those, they're just too big a fish. They'll probably tear those things down anyway. Now let's talk about a Kmart building. What can you do with a Kmart building? I can tell you right now, the Kmart building is probably owned by a private guy, just like you and me, probably owned by a regular individual that gets up every morning and puts his pants on just like the rest of us. That guy's got a problem. And if we can go talk to that guy, we don't have to show up with a suitcase full of money to solve the problem there. What we can do, first of all, if you want to get into some of this arbitrage, because that's how I look at this is how can Tyler Chef make money off of this if I want to make money in this? And you're sitting home and you're not sure whether you should flip houses or you should buy Airbnbs or what you should do. Look at potentially getting involved with repurposing commercial real estate, not necessarily for housing. I'm talking about looking at it from a different perspective. For example, there is a a shopping mall in Crystal River, Florida that just got shut down. But Rural King, which is a big farm supplier, has a storefront there in the mall and they're thriving. So Crystal River Mall is tearing down the rest of the mall and leaving up the storefront for Rural King. And that is owned by a private developer. The guy's not like a gazillionaire or anything. He's just a regular guy like you and I that has been in commercial real estate a long time. So you're thinking, well, how does that matter to me, Tyler? Simple. Pick up the phone, call the guy and say, hey, I see you're tearing down the rest of the mall. What are you going to do with that big parking lot? Well, I'm not quite sure yet. Oh, well, I may have some uses. Let me tell you, would you be amenable to me bringing you some potential offers if I can put something together that makes sense? Yes. Do you mind me asking, is there any debt on the property? Matter of fact, there's not. It's paid for. Do you, can you help me understand what the taxes are on the building per year? Or better yet, go look that up, guys. Get on the county tax assessor's office, figure out what the tax bill is. Once you get an understanding of what that guy's holding costs are, now you can look at strategies and say, okay, how can I solve this guy's problem first? He's got a, te- a he's got fun or bills attached with owning this piece of property. Even if it's free and clear, he's got taxes. Maybe he's got electric electricity and water or something like that. 
well, it's great, Tyler, but you just tore the building down and I don't have the money to build something new. Stop for a second. What about the land it's sitting in? Could that be used as maybe some sort of a stop and go RV park? Could you set it up to where you could charge $25 a night for people to stop off when they're driving down US 19 in Florida on their way to Disney World or their way to Key West or wherever they're going to go on vacation? Could you use it as a stop off point? Could you reach out to that shopping mall and say, I would like a one acre piece of your parking lot. I would like to lease a one acre piece of your parking lot. You think, what am I going to do with the parking lot? You could lease it to produce stands. You could lease it to people selling those Trump flags or whatever on the side of the road all through Florida. You could lease it to somebody selling rotten shrimp out of a cooler. It doesn't matter. But the bottom line is you can arbitrage it if you have an idea of what the guy's expenses are. Tyler, this is a 25 acre parking lot. Great. Now that we know that and this tax bill is $10,000 a year, you take that $10,000 a year and you divide it by 25. Now you know how much per acre his tax bill is. So if you take 10,000 guys, let's just do that math real quick. Let's see if get my calculator going. You get $10,000 a year and you divide that by 25 acres. That means there's a $400 per year tax bill. So you can, if you can generate $400 a year for this gentleman out of that one acre of that guy's parking lot, you can help solve his problem. Is it reasonable to think that you could generate more than $400 out of a one acre parking lot? The answer is hell yes, you can all day long. You could, it could be parking for RVs, whether they're in storage or they're there for stop and go for the night. It could be a stop and ride if for people that are commuting to work. Maybe a lot of people live in Crystal River, Florida that work in Tampa and they part, they meet and park their cars and they carpool to work. Lots of options. Friend of mine down in Sarasota, he does, or Fort Myers rather, he owns a whole bunch of, he controls a parking business, valet service. And what he does is he subleases parking lots and then he has a valet service for events and he makes a freaking killing a million, couple million dollars a year. And he doesn't even own the parking lots. He just leases the parking spaces. So here's a great example of some one way that you can turn these empty buildings that have parking lots into cash flow and at the same time solve the seller's problem. Mike, did anything I just told you require one penny of Mike Marino's money to put into work? No. Okay. So what's your return no. if you have no investment in it? And you, if you make a dollar on something that you have no investment in, what's your return? What's the difference for the return? Uh, here you go. So is that a thousand percent return? No, better, isn't it? Million percent? Better. So think That's about right. that. Good point. I immediately think our heated discussion is EV chargers. Yes. A lot of these EV chargers in parking lots, they just lease that little sliver from the owner of the property. They get their profit and then they give the owner of the property a little cut. So everybody's happy with it too. That's right. Ice machines. There are companies out there that will come. They will, you can lease an ice machine from them. They will bring it to you. They will set it up. They will have all the contractors and they don't even really want much money out of you. $2,500, you can, for a down payment, you can buy or lease an ice machine service where that's where you go with your cooler. You fill your own thing if you're a boater. Crystal River, Florida happens to be a big boating community. It's on Crystal River. A nice machine would do really well at that location because it's got a huge car count. It's right on US 19. And those things make a tidy little profit. And you start that with literally almost no money out of pocket. Yeah. I'm thinking of airport parking, if it's close to an airport or that's you already correct. mentioned parking lots. This, that's interesting because that doesn't require any more infrastructure. 
That's right. There's consignment parking. People who have vehicles they want to sell. A great place to oh. sell a way to sell a vehicle yourself is to put it in a place that's easy access for people that has a big car count. I hired a consignment company to sell my Jeep and they put my Jeep right up front on US 19. And there you have it, right? You get lots of looky loos and then you don't have to go out there and show it to them every five minutes. And it's also in a secure place where people aren't going to act a fool because there's too many witnesses. It's lit up like daylight. But there's a great example. You're like, Tyler, an acre is not enough. Then ask for more because it's a 25-acre parking lot. You got lots of room to do that. There's a great way to help solve this commercial issue. Now, are you? is this going to be your forever business? Probably not. Will this guy that owns this parking lot originally eventually want to do something else with it? Of course. But here's a way for the next 12 months, you can make money off of the situation and help offset this guy's tax bill. Any thoughts on that, Mike? I'm just thinking too, when everybody's brainstorming as they drive around, also think about this. So think about people's essential needs if they do get laid off, because we don't like to think about it. Everybody likes to think of, oh, Airbnbs and everybody has lots of money and everything, but it doesn't look like it's going to last much longer. So when you're going out there, think to yourself, and I don't have an answer for you, depends on your situation, your town. If somebody gets laid off, what service could they use? That's right. That's right. A great, another great example of this is, and I'm getting ready to pass. I may be doing this fall in Key West. One of the things that I struggle, things I struggle with in Key West is finding office space that makes sense. I was paying $800 a month for a closet. Literally, it is five feet wide, I think by seven feet long, $800 a month. And I, you know, it, it didn't work out. It was noisy and whatnot. I didn't like it. So I, before the summer trip, I canceled the lease and moved out of it. But a co-working space. Think about co-working. Oh, yeah. It's synonymous in big cities, but there are lots of people across America that would need a place and maybe can concentrate better getting to work. I'm easily distracted, so I like to work independently. While I'm on the road here, I have literally have a desk set up. It's one of those, like police have a mobile desk that pops right into my seat post. So I'm here in my truck, perfect acoustics, perfect sound, and I can get my work done. I'm sitting in the air conditioning. It's quiet. Think about maybe you go to one of these commercial places that is running out of business and maybe turn it into a co-working space. In a lot of cases, these developers have the resources they're willing to build to suit. You, They just need someone to come up with the idea. They need a Mike Marino to come in there and say, because Mike's always got great ideas and he's not afraid to execute them. But he doesn't necessarily want to invest a ton of his own money. He's got his money invested in the syndicate and our assisted living business. Here's a way that Mike can take his great ideas leverage the landlord's money. And I know what you guys are thinking, but gee, Tyler, if the landlord can, if you get landlord has the money, then he can just do it himself. Really? Why hasn't he? Because he doesn't have a Mike Marino to come up with a bright idea on how to make it work. So you guys leverage what you have. I want to, we're going to wrap this episode up now, but I want to just think, have you thinking about, and one of the takeaways and Mike, I'll have you bring it home is Think about the different things that your community needs and what you can bring to the equation. You don't have to bring the money. You don't have to bring all the solutions, but you do need to discover what the problems are so then you can kick back and figure out how to solve. Final thoughts on that, Mike? Tyler, you brought up a great point. The owners of these office buildings, parking lots, whatever, their disability is that they're most likely a cog in the big corporate machine. They're a manager. They're an employee. Unfortunately, those people are very, they got the blinders on as far as mindset of what can I possibly do with this property? Those listening, you have the advantage. 
you have the advantage of right now, you're not heavily in debt like they are. You're not distracted by that. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) But you most likely, you listen to city council meetings, you know your neighborhood, you know what your neighborhood needs more so, like Tyler mentioned, than the employee of a mega corporation the Kmart down the street. So just keep in mind that you might be a little guy, but you have more of a mindset and open-mindedness of what can be profitable than these big guys. Another thing I'll add too, Tyler, I tell you, you know me, I've been buying cubicles left and right in Las Vegas right now. All these office builders, let me tell you guys, cubicles are pennies, pennies on the dollar. Why would you want a cubicle? Houses, housing prices have gone up, right? Myself, I've downsized square footage because, you know, $450,000 got me 600 square feet. Right. A lot of people are doing this. They're downsizing. They're going to have to do once they get laid off. So now what do you do when you have two kids and two bedrooms? Now you can use those cheap cubicle walls that I stockpiled in the storage unit in Las Vegas, by the way. You can divide up that room. So now you can have the little boy side and little girl side. And believe it or not, when I'm going to these people with the selling these cubicles, they said it's very popular right now. Everybody who's buying these, they ask, hey, what do you plan on doing it? And they're all talking about dividing rooms. So just Uh some small stuff, some small opportunity that you guys can think of when those mega office buildings think that the cubicles are absolutely worthless. There you go. Guys, there you have it. There is a very simple, there's several different ways that you can get involved, get on board with the secret tsunami that's coming up and make money from it. It's great to know that these things are coming and the sky is falling and whatnot. But here at Cashflow Guys, our goal is to try to see, is to teach you and help maybe uncover some ways that you can leverage this bad news, if it's bad news, or leverage what's going on in the news to make yourself some money. You make money by getting out there, identifying problems, and then coming up with solutions to the problems. You don't necessarily have to have your own money or use your own money to make money by solving other people's problems. Guys, it gets, it all begins by picking up the phone, getting on the phone with folks and figuring things out, asking questions. And the last thing I want to leave you with, guys, is think about how you can leverage AI. Mike is a huge fan of Bard. I haven't messed with Bard yet. I've a little bit I have. But uh, I'm using chat GPT and figuring that out. Mike is big on Bard. And then we collaborate a lot of our ideas together, which is how we do what we're doing with the fund. Get involved with AI on the chat GPT and the Bard and start asking it questions that you're a little, maybe a little nervous to ask somebody else. I tell people all the time, get on the phone with Mike and I. People are like, ah, it's a little intimidating. I don't want to ask. Sounds stupid. I get it. I've been there. I don't like to ask stupid questions either. But the only stupid question is the one you don't ask, right? So Bard and ChatGPT, you pick your flavor or my opinion, try both because I've been using both lately to see which works best for me. And the answer is it depends on what I'm doing. That's right. Things like I'm building my real estate, my realtor team in Key West and Tampa. I need to add more team members. So I was looking at a listing manager, right? What? It, so I asked ChatGPT, what does, you are a realtor, a real estate broker, and you are expanding your team. What key team members will help you do that, right? And it said, think of these things. And then I said, okay, what about a listing manager? What does a listing manager do? Give me a step-by-step of what a listing manager does. It tells me, okay, how does it, how do I pay them? Transactionally or by the hour? And if so, how much for Tampa, Florida? How much for Key West, Florida? And it helps me break down my business plan. And I could sit there and have this conversation with my little secret friend, which is the chat GPT app on my iPhone. And I can 
flesh out a business idea without ever having to call Mike and say, you know, hey, Mike, I got this idea. I want to throw it by you. Mike's busy guy. He's doing, he's managing our money in the fund and he's being a pilot and he's doing this stuff. So I can leverage this tool to help me do a lot of the cursory stuff that I would normally have to ask another human being. That is a great way to get through this, guys. Hey, a uh, 10,000 square foot parking lot in Tampa, Florida, what are the potential uses for it? How can I leverage that use if I only have $500? Start playing around with it, guys, and it's going to give you a lot of these ideas. And I'm going to leave it right there. I hope you guys have a great week. We will catch up with you next time. And as always, this only begins by you taking some forward action. So now is the time. Get off the couch and make it happen. Catch you guys next week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.